Welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh, a place to chow down on topics relevant to writers of all kinds. Hello, and welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh. I'm Marissa. And this is a weekly podcast in which I talk about a wide variety of writing-related topics. And I want to start off this episode by making a few announcements. The first one is that this is kind of a milestone episode. It's my 50th. It's pretty hard to believe. I mean, that's not nearly as many episodes as a lot of my favorite podcasts have done. So... It's really not all that impressive compared to them. But when I started doing this podcast, I wasn't sure I could keep it going for this many episodes. But now I have lots of ideas for future episodes. And I want to keep doing this for as long as I can. Of course, all of you listening have a lot to do with this. All the retweets and feedback you've given me, positive and constructive, have not only encouraged me to go on with it, but it's also given me ideas about what I can improve on and what else I need to work on. So I want to extend a big thank you to all of you. I'm incredibly grateful and I really hope I can continue putting out a quality podcast for writers of all genres at all levels of experience all over the world. So once again, I can't thank you all enough. I also want to extend a big thank you to everyone who recently helped me promote my most recent novel, Grown Into It either by downloading it or retweeting my announcements for it, or both. And I was actually going to go over all this last week, but I really wanted to make last week's episode a tribute episode to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her amazing legal writing skills. So I wanted to focus just on her. So this is belated, but... um, For anybody who might be wondering what I'm talking about, I made the book available for free downloads through Amazon KDP a few weekends ago. It was the first time I've ever done anything like that, but I've seen other writers do it on Twitter and Instagram, and I've discovered some cool books and writers that way. I'm starting to get some ideas for my next novel, and just trying to get into a more general writing kind of mindset. And I just figured, why not give it a try? If you published a book through Amazon KDP and haven't done a free promotion yet, I'd encourage you to try it. It's a good way to get the word out there about your book, and it gives you an opportunity to work on your self-promotional skills, which is something that's still a work in progress for me. And listen, if you decide to do a free promotion, please let me know about it, either through email or Twitter, and I'd be happy to 
give you a retweet and help you get the word out to more people. So anyway, on to this week's topic, which is kind of inspired by one of my biggest passions in life, which is film. I've been talking about it quite a bit on Twitter and Instagram recently. I'm a huge fan of international films, mainly from the 60s and 70s, as well as American so-called indie films. We could, of course, go into what's an indie film and what's not and probably be debating all day, but I won't get into that right now. But I always loved quote-unquote cult films growing up. I remember seeing Eraserhead and Clockwork Orange in high school for the first time and finding them utterly fascinating, even though they were quite disturbing in a lot of ways that I'm definitely not going to get into right now. But then... When I was in college, I discovered Jean-Luc Godard, Federico Fellini, Rainer Werner Fassbinder, Akira Kurosawa, etc., and I became obsessed. I kind of got away from watching films in general these last few years, probably because, like so many other people, I've been watching more quality TV series. And of course, there's TV criticism as well. There's probably more of it in recent years because of this golden age. I'm not a binger, so it takes me longer to get through a series than it might take a lot of other people. And I like to do other things besides watch TV. But I've been using HBO Go these last few years to watch a lot of those series. And HBO Go went away a few months ago, so I had to get HBO Max. I didn't really explore the HBO Max app for the first few months I had it. I've just been using it to watch some series such as Succession, Perry Mason, and currently Lovecraft Country. But while I was getting my AC fixed a few weeks ago, I had the chance to explore the HBO Max app in greater detail. And I was shocked to discover that a lot of the foreign films I love, as well as a number that I've never seen, on there. I think it's because HBO Max includes TCM, which is Turner Classic Movies, and the TCM library includes the Criterion Collection, which includes a lot of the films I love so dearly. So the Criterion Collection is available through TCM. I've watched Fassbinder's The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, Antonioni's La Notte and Red Desert, and the original version of Funny Games. I watched a Bergman film a few weeks ago, too. And I'm hoping to keep watching a lot more, even a lot of the Godard films that I own because they're on VHS and for reasons I'm not going to get into. I'm talking about a lot of those today. I will spare you the details of why it's difficult to watch VHS tapes right now. I still have a VHS player, but like I said, I'm not going to go into it right now. And some of the things that I used to do when I was watching a lot of these films, namely going online and finding critiques, are coming back to me. Because as much as I love these films, most of them aren't that easy. That's why a lot of people, if given the choice, would rather watch, say, one of the Hangover or Fast and the Furious films than a Godard or Antonioni film. And look, I'm not knocking the blockbuster films. I enjoy the Marvel films in particular, 
And I watched Black Panther again after learning about Chadwick Boseman's untimely passing back in August. But one of my favorite things to do for years has been to watch some non-mainstream film and spend time thinking about it afterward. And I'll admit, in some cases, I've asked myself what the hell I just watched. As a result, I tend to go online and look up what critics had to say about these films. In some cases, especially with the foreign language films, the critiques might help me better understand some political, social, or historical point that the films were trying to make. But other times, I just would like to check out alternative interpretations. Not because I don't trust my own interpretation, but because some films are so rich in meaning, I don't believe they should have just one interpretation. Therefore, I don't believe a film critique needs to be merely an opinion piece. Even though if you think about some of the film reviews you've read, you might be wondering, well, isn't that what it's supposed to be? The answer is yes and no. As I see it, there are two main types of criticism you're likely to find on film, critiques and reviews. I believe we need both, but each type serves a different purpose and perhaps a different audience. For example, I admit that I don't pay a lot of attention to reviews of contemporary films, but Google a bunch of critiques after watching, say, a Fellini film. Whereas you might read a movie review in the New York Times before you watch it. Even though I personally prefer critiques over reviews, I'm not going to argue today that one is better than the other. I just want to discuss the differences and similarities between them because I like writers to become aware of just how many options they can pursue when it comes to writing. According to a post called Difference Between Critique and Review that I'll include a link to in the notes for this episode, the main difference between a critique and a review, quote, is that a review can be compiled by anyone and consists of a subjective opinion of a work unlike a critique, which is written by an expert in the field with a technical comprehension." End quote. As a result, you're more likely to find film critiques in a different type of publication, such as Film Quarterly, which is published by the University of California Press, than film reviews which appear in newspapers and newspaper websites and on websites like Rotten Tomatoes. And you might find that some film reviewers are actually decent writers or even great writers and that their reviews are enjoyable to read. The late Roger Ebert and Pauline K.L. are great examples of this. Just as you might find that some of the so-called quote-unquote experts whose works appear in more academic publications are dry and long-winded and, I'll say it, they can be boring. This goes back to the distinction between highbrow and lowbrow culture, which I've mentioned before. And I still believe a lot of so-called lowbrow entertainment gets a bad rap 
So I'll just say here that, as I see it, a film review is more of an opinion that can more easily be countered, whereas a film critique is more of an analysis of one of the film's central themes or portrayals. Granted, if you spent any time in an academic setting, you probably know that two academics can argue heatedly about some theory or other for hours on end. But two academic critics would be more likely to argue about, say, female representation in a film. Whereas two movie reviewers would probably be more likely to argue about whether an actress in the film did a good job or maybe phoned in her performance. In describing film reviewers in that way, I will admit that I'm being a little simplistic for the sake of making a point. As Natasha Alvar points out in an article called The Art of Film Criticism, a well-respected film reviewer, a la Roger Ebert, does a lot more than just argue about whether someone's talented or not. Although she acknowledges that it's difficult to remain objective in discussing a film, and suggests that it's inevitable that the reviewer's personal preferences will rear their heads at some point, Alvar stresses that, quote, the critic must remain as discerning as possible, considering the movie's merits as well as its flaws, before laying on the verdict, end quote. Experience, which includes seeing more films over the years and learning more about what distinguishes a so-called good film from a so-called bad film, helps a reviewer do this as does being able to identify what a film's intentions are and the audience that it's going for. When you consider these factors, you might better understand how a reviewer can give a film an overall positive rating, even if he or she personally might not have cared for it. The main point about this type of film criticism is that it will normally have a rating which is mainly intended to persuade viewers to see a film or dissuade them from seeing it, or maybe to help aspiring filmmakers determine what might work for them and what won't. Dave Ruse states that, quote, to reduce film criticism to a binary score, dot, 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 sorry, risks reducing filmmaking to a purely consumer exchange. End quote. Now, that might seem cynical, but it's certainly a way to look at why we feel the need to rate films. In an article called Never the Twain Shall Meet, David Bordwell stresses that theory plays a greater role in academic film criticism than in movie reviews, which are geared more toward evaluation, and suggests that this focus on theory and culture has some distinct advantages. One of them being that, quote, it allows us to ask questions that aren't simply factual, but have broader implications, end quote. This is where an academic critic can call the reader's attention to larger themes. You might call this the context out of which the film appeared. This might include questions such as, what type of society and people does this film represent? 
and what customs are highlighted. This type of critic might not find aspects of that society appealing, but ideally, he or she realizes that it's not his or her place to make a value judgment. Just to analyze how the film ties into that broader framework. Wardwell points out here that this can happen partly because academic journals often allow critics more space and looser deadlines than the types of publications that carry reviews that are more likely to include ratings. But there are also some disadvantages to a focus on the bigger picture, if you'll pardon the pun. Namely, academic critics may not be able to analyze more technical aspects of the film, such as framing or lighting, as a reviewer can. For this reason, Bordwell suggests that academic critics and film reviewers should be seen as complementary to, to each other, rather than as being at opposite ends of the highbrow, lowbrow continuum, although that has unfortunately been the case for quite some time. So, if you're into film, like I am, this might be an area you'd like to write about at some point. Even if you primarily write novels, who's to say you can't start a blog and write about films you like between projects? Or maybe you're not a novelist, but you really like movies. Or maybe you don't have much of a choice. You might be in college and taking a film class. I'll forget for the time being that a lot of film classes are considered electives, or at least they were when I was in school. And you need to write a paper. And the professor suggested you check out some film criticism before starting your assignment. I do think that writing about film, no matter why you're doing it or which approach you choose to take, can help you grow as a writer on a number of levels. It can help you become a better writer overall and hone your critical thinking and persuasion skills. A movie that you may have dismissed as cheesy or boring several years ago might take on a deeper meaning for you today. And that may help you make more sense of the world around you. And I think writing about film can also help you become more cognizant of who the type of audience you're trying to reach is. And if you're a writer of color or an LGBTQT plus writer, your film criticism can even open eyes and call attention to issues that, say, even open-minded straight white men may not be aware of. As Nathan Rowe points out in an article called The Importance of Film Criticism, I'd argue that this is important for any type of writing you want to do. I do think that there are some pitfalls you might want to watch out for. For example, even if you're just writing short film reviews on your personal blog, it might be better to present your opinions in a mature manner rather than to bash the actors or plot or filmmaker, even if those can be fun to read, don't don't you get into that yourself if you can help it. I don't find them fun to read. I'm just saying some people might. In a similar vein, an academic critic often comes across as elitist and out of touch with reality, when ideally, 
your primary purpose should probably be to inform. Going back to what Bordwell was suggesting about how the two approaches could actually complement each other if we would allow them to, maybe you can do just that. I know I was talking about my personal preference for more academic criticism earlier in this podcast, but I also think that if I saw the two approaches combined more in articles and analyses, I'd be all for it. So, what do you think about film criticism? Email me at marissadelefarfale at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at, at marissad13 or on Instagram at marissadf13. And I'd also really appreciate it if you could rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, as it'll help a lot more people find out about the show. Until next time, thanks again for all of your support and for listening, and I really hope something I talked about today inspires you to broaden your horizons and or get your work out there to more people. And if there's something you want to try but aren't sure about, please ask someone. If you know other writers, ask them if they can give you some pointers, or even ask me. That's why I do this podcast. And listen, there's still a lot I don't know. And if I can't get a satisfactory answer from my research or figure something out on my own, I ask someone. I really believe that the only stupid question is the one that isn't asked. So yeah, keep asking questions. We, as writers, are supposed to be curious. Remember that. So stay safe and peace out. This podcast has been brought to you by Anchor, which is the easiest way to make a podcast. Go to anchor.fm for more info.